This is No Love Live with Pastor Tim Warholic. Tim is the senior pastor of Paradise Calvary Chapel in Las Vegas, Nevada. Revelation chapter 4 tonight. This is really an incredible portion of Scripture of a peek into the throne room in heaven. And it's kind of overwhelming. It's kind of too much almost. Like, what does this mean? What does that mean? What what does it look like? We're going to work through four and possibly five to answer some of those questions. But the reason that I like it so much, it's one of my, it's definitely up there in chapters in Revelation is because it gives us this picture of God. And who doesn't want to know who God is? And it reinforces some things for us. But first of all, we didn't collaborate. I didn't collaborate with the worship team. I didn't talk to them um, about what we were going to be talking or looking at tonight. Did you guys know what we were going to be doing? So do you guys know what the first song we sung, what the title is? Revelation song. Do you guys know why it's called the Revelation song? Because it's taken from Revelation chapter 4, which is pretty cool. So I'm, I'm going to have Grant throw the lyrics up there for you. And as we, as we read 4 and 5 you'll see how this is called the Revelation song, how it was written from Revelation chapter 4 and 5. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Holy, holy is He. Go ahead. Next. Sing a new song to Him who sits on heaven's mercy seat. That's part of the end of chapter, uh, the middle of chapter 5 is the new song. Go to the next one. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. This is all about revelation of Jesus Christ, the triune holy God, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. With all creation I sing, praise to the King of kings, you are everything, my everything, and I will adore you. We see this picture of God seated on the throne, and it should be of adoration. Clothed in rainbows of living color, flashes of lightning, rolls of thunders. These are the words that are used to describe what God's throne looks like clothed in rainbows of living color, blessing and honor and strength and glory and power be to you, the only wise king. Go ahead. Fill with wonder, awestruck wonder at the mention of your name. You, you can cut it off there, but you get the point. And you'll see as we read through how the writers of the song really dove into Revelation chapter 4 and 5 to present this scene before the throne of God and all its glory. Let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll start in Revelation chapter 4. Father, thank you for this time that we can take a peek in. As the door was open for John, he opens and paints a picture for us to see your glory seated in the heavenlies. What your word promises, we have every promise. We have every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. And and we get to see somewhat what that looks like. 
Help us to consider that, to meditate on that in this season that we're in going into this holiday season. That every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus is ours. And this is that snapshot that we get. Bless these, Father, who came tonight, who desire to hear your word and to have an intimate time of fellowship with you and that we would have it with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Really quickly, a recap. Since we're going to be going through the rest of the book of Revelation, and this started as an eight-week series on the seven churches of Revelation, I want to recap a little bit before we jump into four. Uh, first of all, Revelation in the Greek is what? Does anybody remember what Revelation in the Greek, the Greek word for Revelation is? Apocalypse, apocalypsos, and it is that word that means the unveiling, the uncovering. When is the last time you watched a movie titled The Apocalypse and, and it was about something being revealed? Probably never. Apocalypse in the world's vernacular translates into destruction. Now, from chapter 4 to 19, we are going to see God's dealing with the earth uh, and the tribulation, but also God's judgment. The revelation or the apocalypse isn't the revealing of God's judgment on the earth. It's the revealing of his son, Jesus Christ, to the earth. That's the purpose of, of the apocalypsos, the uncovering, the unveiling. And the idea is back in, in ancient times and even today, You'd have this sculpture that was done. It would take this artist many, many man hours or hours of artwork to, to complete. And he doesn't just roll out in the square and say, hey, here's my thing I did. No, he puts a big blanket over it. And then he calls everybody together. And then he says, apocalypso. And, you know, the, the unveiling, the uncovering, this is the masterpiece. And this is the idea of what God is doing with Jesus Christ to the earth and what part we are going to play uh, with that in the future. The book of Revelation is broken into three sections. If you turn with me to Revelation chapter 1, we covered this and highlighted it. But if you want to have a good understanding of the book of Revelation, you need to, to open up the beginning and look at the, the index of what what to expect. We find that in chapter 1, verse 19, excuse me. Let's start in uh, verse 17. And then I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, him as Jesus. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and death. Write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this. This is the three sections or the three divisions of the book of Revelation. And to understand it, we have to take note of those and understand what he's saying. First of all, write the things which you have seen, which was this first chapter, the revelation, the revelation of the Son of Man in his glory, what his position was, what his authority was, the things that he had seen, the description of Jesus, the greeting to the seven churches. That was what he had seen. 
the second part and the things which are. The things which are spoke of the condition of the seven churches at that time. He said, write to each one of the seven churches. These are the things I want to address with them. But collectively, all of the things that I wrote to them applies to all of the churches. And this is why, because the number seven is the number of completion. And while certain churches have certain issues, the issues that Jesus addresses to each one of them apply to all of them. It's we can take away stuff from each church. So I'm of the church of Philadelphia. That's just the way that it is. Does it mean that the church of Sardis doesn't have anything to apply to my life? No. Does it mean that the church of Laodicea doesn't? No. I need to be aware. I need to be careful. Is it the church of Ephesus? No. It's a potential of falling from our first love. That's why it was addressed to the church in Ephesus, and which had the disciple of love, John, as their pastor. You could be very strong in one thing, and over time, it can... Things can change and the warning still needed to be applied to, to the entirety of the church, them as a whole. So you have number one, the description. You have number two, the things which are that need to be addressed, the things that are happening right now. And those are the seven letters to the seven churches. And then you have the things which will take place after this, which uh, fast forward us to Revelation chapter four, starting in verse one. After these things, I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard was like a trumpet speaking to me, saying, Come up here and I will show you the things which must take place after this. Does that sound familiar? Chapter 1, it says the things which are uh, the things that you see, the things which are, and the things w- which will take place after this. Going to chapter 4, it very clearly at the beginning says, now we're going to start talking about the things that are going to happen after this. This is the third section, and it runs from chapter 4 to chapter 19. 20, 21, and 22 are kind of the conclusion of the book of Revelation. Uh, so now we go into that last section. But I want to look at a couple things. After these things, I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven. Our God is the God of the open door. And if you ever meditate or think upon this, this is, this is a pretty, pretty cool to consider. You know, throughout your life, you're going to have many open doors and many closed doors. And if you are about seeking God for him to open and close doors, what you're actually saying is you're about God's perfect will for your life. And sometimes we try to push doors open. And sometimes we try to close doors that are open or not walk through doors that that, that are very clearly open to us. For John, what was this open door going to lead to? Well, I don't want to spoil it because we're going to get to it in a second. But walking through a door that God opens for us will reveal to us the glory of God. I would say to you every single time, God opens a door for you to walk through. Now, the question is, is it the Lord opening a door or what? And, and I think there's, there's a process to that. But the reality is, if a door is open to you and it's the Lord that opened that door, as you walk through it, as you step out in faith, you are going to be Hold God's glory, which is what I want to see. 
He says, uh, there was a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking to me, saying, come up here and I will show you the things which must take place after this. Question, who was the voice that had spoken first to him? You guys remember, we just read it in chapter one. Who was the voice? It says, uh, the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, come up here. Who was the first voice? Jesus. He says, I'm the first and the last. I'm the alpha and the omega. It it is I. He who was uh, alive and dead and will live forevermore. So here is a call from Jesus like a trumpet summoning John up to him to see the things which will take place after this. One of the things I want to take note of with the book of Revelation, and and one of the things that makes it very difficult for commentators and scares many pastors and commentators away, is we have to understand in the heavenly realm, from the heavenly perspective, looking down on earth, time-space continuum looks completely different up there than it does down here. Up there, it's positional, it's already happened. Down here, it's still unfolding. So as much as we would like to create a timeline and say, well, this is what this means, and there are days and years and stuff like that, we can't really fully understand because from a heavenly perspective, God is the one that's going to put all those pieces together. And there are certain things that God wants us to know. And if he wants us to know it, then we should be excited about that. We should study and say, yes, I want to know these things that God has revealed to me. There are certain things, even in the book of Revelation, that God does not want you to know. We're going to come to a part speaking of the seven thunders and it's going to be spoken. Seal up what the thunder said. Don't tell anybody. Wait until the appointed time. There's certain things that that God doesn't want us to know. And there's been people who have sought out desperately to find out what the seven thunders spoke. And you can go online and in the yellow rabbit hole or the white rabbit, following the white rabbit into the hole, and you can spend all night and days looking and listening to all these crazy people talking about what the seven thunders are, when at the end of the day, God said it was sealed, so they're never going to be able to figure out what he's saying. They, they, it's not in God's will for them to know. So God, help us with the things that you want us to know, to embrace it and understand it. And for the things that you don't, that we would accept it and say, we trust you. We know that you're good and we have nothing but good expectations in what your purpose and plan for our lives is. Verse two, the voice says, come up here. I will show you things which must take place after this Two, Immediately I was in the spirit and behold, a throne set in heaven and one who sat on the throne. There has to be some kind of response. And, and as soon as John heard the call to come up here, as soon as he heard it, he was, he was immediately prepared and that's why he went up. I think sometimes for us, we linger in our urgency to answer the call of the Lord. God says, come up here. And you're like, wait a minute, is that you? Wait a minute. What about this? Wait a minute. What about that? Hey, I've got bills to pay, God. Hey, what about this? What about that? But John's heart was so completely sold out 
that when God spoke to him and said, hey, come up to the open door, he, he was so willing that at that point, we see this happen with miracles and other things in the New Testament. At that point, it, it, he immediately responds because his heart is already to be in obedience to God. Think about this. Think about the centurion Cornelius, the first Gentile him and his family, household, and friends to be baptized with the Holy Spirit in the New Testament in the book of Acts. It says that he feared God, that he gave alms, and he worshiped God in truth. And an angel appears to him and says, send to Joppa for a man named Peter. And he sent his soldiers a two-day journey, took them about a day to get there, day and a half. They get there and God is preparing Peter's heart by revealing the sheep being lowered from heaven and saying, eat Peter, arise and eat. And he's saying, it may not never be Lord. I would never eat anything unclean. I never have, I never will. And three times he said, get up and eat. What I have called clean, you shall not call unclean. And the third time the sheet's taken up at that moment, ding dong, ding dong there's some unclean men that show up at Peter's house. And Peter goes down, what do you want? We summon you, our master seen an angel. You have to come to Caesarea on the sea to uh, speak to our master. And he knows that he received instructions to go. So there isn't any hesitation. It's against the grain. It's not necessarily what he would normally do, but immediately it says, immediately they went. They travel back, they go there. And this is the part that I want to take note of. They go and this centurion has gathered together all of his friends and family. And this is going to be the Gentile Pentecost. The first Pentecost was the Feast of Weeks, 50 days after the Passover. And it fell on the Jews, the dysphoria who had come together to uh, celebrate Passover in Jerusalem. Thousands of people get saved. Now God is sending a Jew to a Gentile. And he goes into this place that's probably packed out with people. And he starts to preach. And as he's preaching the word, you can read in the book of Acts how it starts to go down. He's saying that Jesus Christ was given for the, for the remission of sins. And as soon as he speaks the word, the Holy Spirit falls in power. Why? They didn't need an altar call. They didn't need to raise their hand. They didn't need to get the emo music going. All right, being a little exaggerative. They didn't need it. You know why? Because the Holy Spirit sees the hearts of men and women. And as soon as they heard the word that it was faith in Jesus Christ that was necessary for salvation, immediately they believed and immediately the Holy Spirit fell on them. And they were saved. And they were filled with the Spirit. And then the, the work of the Lord with saving mankind, with the Gentiles, the great light that had been revealed to the Gentiles, starts to spread to the point where here we are standing on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem a month ago or whatever, and the three main world religions, um, Jewish, the Jewish faith, the Muslim faith, and the Christian faith, they, we, we make up the majority of the religions of the world. 
And that's how it affected the world. What people did with Jesus or what institutionalized religion did to Jesus after the fact is not what we're debating tonight. We're not talking about religious institutions or men setting up processes of of how man can get to God. We see that there was something that needed to be addressed in seven churches, that there can be the presence and power of the Holy Spirit working in people, working in families, working in churches, but we can see that there's counterfeits as well. The enemy's trying to rip off the work and power of God. But I I just wanted to go in that direction for a minute to see that when you're in a place in your heart that you're willing to respond to the Lord, there's an immediate effect that happens, and we can prepare ourselves to be at that point now. So when the Lord opens a door for us tomorrow, we don't have to question whether we should walk through it or not because God's already been preparing us to make that decision. And it could be something that we, we get connected into God's will with immediately because we've been prepared beforehand and then we get to see the glory of God. Immediately, I was in the spirit signifying there's a difference between what's happening on the earth and in the flesh. He's in the spirit and behold a throne set in heaven and one sat on the throne. I love how the first thing that John sees when he gets to heaven is the throne of God. I think that that's radical of everything, the centrality of of the Godhead is represented as the number one thing. And we see this as, uh, we see this uh, repeatedly throughout scripture. There's prophecies in the Old Testament. There's experiences that people have where they are absent from the body or they're in spirit or they're receiving a prophecy and there standing before them is the throne of God, speaking of the sovereignty, the supremacy of God. And one sat on the throne. Verse three, and he who sat there was like Jasper and Sardis stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. Around the throne were 24 elders. And on the thrones I saw 74 elders sitting clothed in white robes. They had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne proceeded lightnings, thunderings, and voices. That was one of the lyrics in the song that we sang, Revelation song. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. The first thing I'd like to take note is there is no desire, there is no uh, even the smallest try at picturing, representing who God was on the throne. He doesn't say it looked like a guy, it looked like a girl. He didn't try to attach an image to it. We know that God is spirit, those who Worship him, worship him in spirit and truth. But he sat, who sat on the, on the throne was like jasper and sardius stone in appearance. There's a description of light and refracted light even. These gems or these emeralds and, and what makes those things beautiful. You don't behold their beauty in the dark. You hold them up to the light. So there's this presence, this prism, this color representing God on his throne. There's no figure, there's no image. It's just this this light. 
Psalms talks about how God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So we see this stone representing the beauty of God. And I'm grateful that there's not more imagery connected to it because, you know, people would be making stupid statues and pictures and worshiping them the, the smallest chance that they had got the opportunity to. So it's just this light. And I, and I forgot where I was. Um, I think it was a, a church in Jerusalem, which is a little unfortunate, but it was a, an old, old church, thousands of years old. And the whole wall on one side of the church, big columns was stained glass. And the sun was um, waxing. It was going down. And the sunlight shined, shone through the, the um, stained glass windows. And it just put this absolutely stunning picture of these different colors all over the place. It was gorgeous on the floor. And that's something that I miss. I miss stained glass windows it kind of is a representation of uh, the throne of God to me. I think, oh, wow, you know, and I don't know if they do it for that reason or whatever, but they're beautiful. It's beautiful the way that the light is refracted, uh, and, and we get this kind of idea of you can't make out some kind of certain figure most of the time, maybe vaguely, but the idea is this is these beautiful colors, and that's what makes things beautiful, these different contrasting colors and things. So he says that he who sat on it was like a jasper, a sardis stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. Now, do you guys know what a rainbow is? And, and many commentators and people would agree that this rainbow around the throne of God, he says that he set the bow, you know, and it's to remind uh, of the promise of God that he'll never flood the earth again. So literally, when God said that he put the rainbow in the sky, um, literally God put a rainbow around his throne to remind him of the promise that he made mankind that he'd never flood the earth again. Uh, but there's this thing that I never, I never realized before, but rainbows, the reason that you only ever see half of them is because when you're looking at a, a rainbow, the way that the light's reflected and shows the color, um, you're just not able to see the bottom half of the rainbow, but most rainbows are circles. Did you guys know that? You can look up pictures on the internet of pilots flying through the air, and there's a rainbow from rain down below, and it's a circle. It's not a half because there's no horizon to dissect it. And when I see these pictures, you can look them up online. It's pretty incredible because they're still beautiful. It's just like a full circle rainbow. And then you can see this picture in your mind's eye of the throne of God just put in the midst, the middle of this rainbow, reminding mankind of the promise that God made. Around the throne were 24 elders, and on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white robes. They had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne proceeded lightning, thunderings, and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Now, we kind of looked at the seven spirits of God to the seven churches, the, the totality or the, the fullness of the representation of the Spirit of God uh, being the Holy Spirit. Uh, but also, we see these 24 elders sitting around on other thrones. And there's some people that believe that um, they're different representations of different things. 
Uh, I believe our stance as a church is, is that these are the 12 and the 12, the 12 tribes representing the old covenant and the 12 apostles representing the new covenant. And together they become 24 and it is the old and the new. It's the fullness of God's revelation um, and those who would testify uh, of it, those who experience it on both, on both sides. Now, some people will argue and say, well, it can't be both because it says in another part that, that it's those who have been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. Well, I have no problem with that because those people who died before Christ went into um, a holding part that we know as Abraham's bosom, and the, the 12 that died afterwards were covered by the blood of the Lamb. But Jesus descended to take captivity free or take the captives captive to, uh, to release them. And it was at that point that it was by his shed blood that they were now released and able to go into the paradise or, or the promises of God that they looked forward to in the Old Testament, but had not attained. So we get the concept of, of Abraham looking forward to the promised land, but never really uh, being inside the promise in, in inheriting it. And it would, it would uh, insinuate that he still didn't fully inherit it until Jesus Christ's blood was shed on the cross and he died for the sins of the world, that the atoning sacrifice was made and purified the old 12 and purified the new 12. And then here we have these 24 witnesses, so to speak, elders who are clothed in white robes and had crowns of gold on their heads and from the throne proceeded lightnings, thunderings, and voices. And we have the Spirit, verse 6, before the throne. There was a sea of glass like crystal, and in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature was like a calf. The third living creature had a face like a man. And the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes, all around and within, and they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Here's the trinity of the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And this particularly, uh, we see the focus in chapter 5 being the Lamb of God, the Son of God, who was slain before the foundations of the earth for the reconciliation of the people to God. So we have these creatures. Many, many, many people debate or want to talk about these creatures. Uh, they see everything. They've got, they've got eyes all over. They see everything. They have uh, many pairs of wings, and there's a, uh, they're the ones that are leading the choir in praise and adoration of God at his throne. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they exist and were created. So 
very powerful words that, that correspond well with the Revelation song that we sang. You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they exist and were created. When we talk about the will of God, I wonder why people kick against God's will. They think that their will can be better than God's. They think that they have a better plan than God. God's plan and his will was to create all things and allow them to be in existence, allow them to be created. I, I like to be part of that plan because what's, what's the opposite of that is <laughs> not being created and able to have fellowship with God. Here we have the 24 elders um, casting their crowns down before the throne, singing this song. I would like to bring up uh, a point that some people say, what are we going to do in heaven? And, and the people respond and say, all we're going to be doing is throwing our crowns down before uh, the throne of God and worshiping him for all of eternity. Um, this is where I think the line is a little blurred between um, reality, time, like time-space continuum, and this scene in heaven that we're seeing. This is something that, that, is, that is presenting God uh, as who he is in his power and his purposes and his will for the future. Just uh, think about the, description, the descriptive words that he uses, like Sardis, like Jasper. It, there's no way for him to be able to express or to accurately describe what the throne of God looks like or what the person sitting on the throne looks like. So there has to be these, these likes. And you can't explain to somebody an experience that you had uh, except try to find something as close to or as similar that they can identify with to try to get them there. But the frustrating thing is no matter how, how hard you try, so, so you fall so short it's like uh, going skydiving. Has anybody been skydiving here besides Isaiah? It's pretty cool. Try to explain to somebody what going skydiving is like. Are you, do you think you're really going to be able to express how you felt when you were jumping out of that plane? No. Have you ever had a baby? Women try to explain to men all the, all the time what it's like to have a baby to try to get them to sympathize. And we're like, we don't get it. It hurts a lot. We're sorry, but we just don't get it. Being married, going through a divorce, losing a loved one, losing a child. Those are all things that you can try to explain to somebody in like term, but they never come to the, the full meaning or feeling of what it was like to experience those things. And if those are earthly examples that I'm using just for the sake of illustration, how much more what it's going to be like to be standing before the throne of God who's encircled in a rainbow on a vast sea that you can't see the beginning and the end. Oh, by the way, the sea is crystal and it's, it's beautiful, it's gorgeous. He's doing the best he can, but what we see here is a description of the glory of God and we, when we try to meditate and, and wrap our minds around his glory, we can also give ourselves over to the response to that. We can understand it a little bit. We can try to process it as difficult as it is. You are worthy, God. 
You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. You created all things. By your will they exist and were created. Chapter 5. Then I saw on the right hand of him who sat down, sat on the throne, a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at that. Why were they not able? There was a key word that we passed a verse back. Why were they not able? Because they weren't strong enough? Because they weren't smart enough? What's that, Dario? They weren't worthy. They were not worthy. It was only allowed to the one who was worthy. So I wept much. John is crying like a little baby in heaven before the throne of God. I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and to read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and loose its seven seals. It's almost like there was a plan all along. Nobody's going to be able to open this scroll. Nobody's going to be able to execute the fullness of God's will. There's going to be a a, a way that is made. And the elder is almost like in heaven. I just see this in my my mind. Elbow and John, hey, don't worry about it, man. There's there's a guy, Lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of Jesse. He's going to be able to open it. He's like, I know what's going to happen. I've been here before. He's prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes that are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. What does it speak that the lamb was willing to take the scroll? Well, what, does that, what does that speak of? He was willing. Just as much as Jesus was willing to be identified with the Son of Man, like we talked about in the service this morning, he was willing to live with a bunch of stinky, crusty people on planet Earth for 30-odd years. He was just as willing to train up these disciples who were going to flip the world upside down. He was willing to step in obedience for that path which had been marked for him by the Father. He was willing to be betrayed. He was willing to be murdered. He was willing for the face of God to turn from him. Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? He has always been willing from the beginning until this point when the scroll is being held in heaven. Everything has happened. His willingness has been displayed to the utmost. He dies. He raises back to life. He further instructs his disciples. He goes to heaven. The promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit, is poured out. Now these people are instructed to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And here's the lamb in heaven, always being willing to do what the father had purposed for him. Always willing. And it is for me, it's incredible to look at the whole picture. Because for me, one day I'm willing and the next day I'm not so willing. God, I'm willing to be the son of man. I'm willing to have a title and reputation 
I'm willing to heal people. I've always wanted to heal somebody. I've always wanted to raise somebody from the dead. How cool would that be? Like, God, I want to be able to raise somebody from the dead. I've tried. I've prayed over dead people. I've been willing to go to great lengths to preach the gospel to people all over the world. But then there's other times when God says, hey, I have to take you through a time of trial. God, I'm not willing for that. Hey, I need to take you through a time of discipline because what heavenly father does not uh, discipline his, his children? God, I don't want to be disciplined. I don't want to go through that. Hey, Tim, I want you to do this. It's going to be good for you in the long run. I'm not willing. But the son of man, the son of God was always willing and able in everything in complete submission to the Father and in obedience to do what the will of the Father was. And he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. He was willing. Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints, and they sang a new song. Before we get to the new song, I'd like you to take note if you're an underliner or note taker. Have you ever heard or seen pictures of people floating on clouds in heaven playing harps? And that's what it's going to be like. We're going to get to heaven. We're just going to be floating on a cloud playing a, Hello, St. Thomas. St. Bartholomew, St. Grace, St. Kristen, how are you today? What are you doing? I'm just going to play my harp. This is a verse that they get the harp play depicted in um, uh, the Roman frescoes and other art uh, showing or, or you know, sh- t- stating that we will be playing harps in heaven. But this is talking about the 24 elders and the four living creatures. Notice that what were the four living creatures and what were the 24 elders worshiping before. Who were they worshiping? Lord God Almighty, which is a title in the Old Testament of God the Father in heaven, God Almighty. And now nobody should be worthy of worship, but they fall down and um, they off, they play the harp and these golden bowls full of incense and the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song which was referenced in the Revelation song, if you remember, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. Now, when you have a king of kings, it's possible to be a king because there's still the authority of the king of kings over you. So he says, or they say in this new song, that out of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation, that have made us kings and priests to our God. Priests were having that open uh, connection, that open opportunity to go to God freely. It was very limited because in the Old Testament Levitical law, it was a shadow of what happened in the heavenly And it was restricted because of sin. But in actual heaven, that connection with God, Jeremiah 31, 31, 31, talks about the new covenant where each one will know God. There's no longer going to be a you teaching your neighbor of who God is. They'll all know me from the greatest of them, from the least of them to the greatest. And here we have this position of people to God before God. 
worshiping him with this song, worshiping Jesus Christ. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, saying in a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, and as such as are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying, blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. You see, what was redeemed to God was not just humankind. The entire creation was redeemed. I really like that verse that we don't really, I don't think we take note of too often reading through this section of Revelation. Every creature which is in the heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them were singing. Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Then the four living creatures said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshiped him who lives forever and ever. These two chapters, four and five, give us the right uh, introduction into what's going to happen in six onward, moving into a tribulation period and a judgment time uh, by God. We should be in awe standing or looking at a place uh, of who God is. And, and if we read Revelation, being in a place of acceptance of what's going to take place because of what we saw God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit were willing to do for us. And we see this in, in humility. These people are there, the four living creatures, the 24 elders, tens of thousands, 10,000, 10,000, thousands and thousands. People are, are worshiping God. They're, they're, they're aware of where they are and, and what it costs to get them there. And it was all because the Lamb of God was slain and his blood was what reconciled and bought not just humankind, mankind back to God, but all creation. Creation groans for the manifestation of the promises of, of God to his people, to the, to the whole earth. We're going to not skip forward too much into the end of the chapter, but then we see um, later on the, um, the new heavens and the new earth. And it's not going to be just this scene of heaven. It's going to be the practical reality of what heaven is going to look like and what people's function and form is going to be. It's going to be a lot closer to, I think, what we understand life to be here, except in a perfect sinless state, which I think is kind of exciting because I think the earth's kind of cool. But imagine the earth with the picture of completely redeemed. Like it's, there's no more corruption in the, wor in the world anymore. That's a, that's a good picture. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this picture of, of your throne tonight, this picture of your glory. And, and God, it does, it does put us in awe of you. And really, the, the way that we want to respond is we want to cry out to you. Holy, holy, holy. Blessing and honor. You alone are worthy. 
also what a great way to start a new week, Lord, to meditate on your magnificence, to think about your destiny, your perfect will for your people, and that it's not just a promise that we can meditate on and hope for tomorrow, but it's a promise that we can receive yes and amen for today. Bless my brothers and sisters this week, Lord. Bless their travels if they're traveling. Bless their dinners with their friends and family, the meals, the interactions that they have, and allow this little glimpse of your glory to so affect them that it affects those conversations and the relationships they have with uh, those other people. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen.